Hello, everyone. Excited to dive into this week's episode and bring in your comments, your feedback. Welcome to the Ultimate Crowdsource Personal Finance Show. This is your Friday Roundup. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. To help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan. I'm doing quite well. This has been quite a interesting week, I guess, just in the world, in the world of the stock market and such. And it's interesting in light of the episode on Monday with A Purple Life talking about hitting a number. Right. Yeah. So when we set that episode up, this is probably the most prototypical early retiree that we have seen in over a year. To have this case study happening live in front of you, not a look back, oh, it worked, it was all fine, but just, all right, I have a number in mind. My expenses are incredibly low, objectively. As soon as I get this number, peace, I'm out. And I hope everything goes okay because I'm just hitting my number. And then the market just goes straight down, right? I mean, put yourself in that scenario, how... Does that change your plan? Does that nuke your plan? It's kind of interesting just to have this opportunity to flesh this out and look at it from the perspective of prepared, not scared. Yeah, prepared, not scared. I like that. That's uh, that's a good way of looking at this. Would it change? I'm not sure if you're asking rhetorically or if you're asking for my opinion here, but I'll give you my, my opinion anyway. Would it change my plan? I guess it ultimately depends on where I was in this decision-making process. I guess if I had not technically reached my fine number and all of a sudden my, or maybe even if I hadn't left my job and all of a sudden my net worth dropped by, what did we see the markets go down? About 12% at the height. I think at that point, I'm not at my fine number. So that clearly changes things, right? We're not even getting into sequence of return risks at that point. We don't need to bring big earn into the conversation quite yet. But as far as I'm concerned, if I had not reached my number or if I'm still working with the anticipation of stopping in the near future, all of a sudden my net worth dropped by 12%, I'm not at my fine number. And I think, unfortunately, in that scenario, I personally would keep working or keep saving or whatever it may be until I got back to that fine number. How do you conceptualize it? Hmm. Yeah. It's hard, right? It's, I mean, it's not an easy answer. All right. So I guess, you know, someone's going to be listening to this a year from now and they're going to need like some context. What are you guys even talking about yeah. potentially? Right. So, you know, we're recording this, it's March of 2020 and, you know, in the news everywhere, the sky is falling. Coronavirus is spreading across the globe and we don't know a whole lot about it. We don't know what's actually going to happen, but the stock market reacted to the news and potentially reacted to what the anticipated effect might be, right? And so you saw this drop of 12% across the board. In parallel to that, for context, this past week, this episode with A Purple Life, and we'll bring up the episode number in just a second here so you can listen to it. This individual, she's in her late 20s. 
she saved up a pretty substantial sum of money, several hundred thousand dollars. I think it was approaching $500,000, but it's not a multi-million dollar portfolio. It, for her, will cover her cost of living with a decent amount of cushion in there. And I think her cost of living at the time was estimated around 20,000, maybe just a little bit over $20,000 a year. And she's like, well, once I get up my number, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of done. I think I'm done. I'm going to check out. You know, now with that in mind, this is not what maybe some individuals would call fat fire. This is hitting your number and then saying, all right, I'm going to go do this. Would you delay your plans? And I think with that in mind, it kind of is, well, where is this person? Have they already left their job? Do they have a hard date in mind? Do they have a plane ticket somewhere else? Like, or is this something they're tentatively planning on it? I think with the benefit of, and now I'm, now I'm going to switch out purple and I'm going to say Jonathan, right? This is really Jonathan at this point. If Jonathan has $500,000 and he talks about himself in the third person uh, <laughs> and his life costs $20,000 a year, he's set on his plan. He's good with it. That feels like a good number. I'm not even going to talk about that right now, but if that that's it. And then the market goes down 12% and I was going to retire that day, but I hadn't put in, or I was going to retire in a couple of weeks, but I hadn't put in my two weeks yet. I for sure would just hold off and putting in my two weeks until the market recovered. And what I would even do, because I'm kind of aggressive and I, and I, yeah, I'm not really coming at this from a place of fear as much as just looking at the practicalities. I would try to be continuing to invest into the downturn. That, that's probably what I would do uh, going into this. Right, and you said until the market recovered, and right, that's just one side of it. And yeah, you obviously added on, I would continue to invest, right? Obviously, you're continuing to work, and if you're on a path to FI, you have a savings rate, right? So it's not just one side of this equation where you have to wait out the market recovering you are saving and continuing to buy in all likelihood low cost index funds at whatever the market rate is on that day and as we've talked about previously with JL Collins and others when you're getting the market on sale you're buying a little piece of 3000 plus american and really international businesses that are now on sale so it's an interesting kind of rethink on how you look at this but right it's not just until the market recovers there's both that and the function of savings built in there. And, you know, since we are diving into the definitions here, Jonathan, just to, for that person listening a year from now, the phi number is basically looking at your expenses. So in this case, we said purple's expenses are $20,000 a year. You multiply that number by 25, and that gets you to your rough phi number because there's this rule of thumb called the 4% rule of thumb, as we call it here, where if you had, 20,000 multiplied it by 25, that gets you to $500,000, okay? So that's your phi number. And how you look at it through the lens of the 4% rule is you multiply 500,000 by that 4%, and that tells you what you can safely withdraw that year in order to keep that up going forward in all likelihood for many, many decades. So that's the, as Big Earn from Early Retirement Now talks about, we can argue around the margins of what that exact safe withdrawal rate is. It might be 3.5%, it might be 3.25%, but the loose rule of thumb we use is the 4% rule. So again, if we're going back here and trying to define things, I think that's really important. And normally, while you out there in the audience might be listening to this and saying, wow, she spends $20,000 a year? The cool thing is this is just math right? It's, it's the same math, whether your yearly expenses are 20,000, if they're 40,000, if they're 120,000, you just multiply that annual expense number by 25 to get you your very rough fine number. 
to really be able to put this in perspective, what this means for purple. And, and if you extract past purple to just another individual, you have to think about, you have to think about some context here. So let's say that like I just did the case study, Jonathan's still working and it comes up. Yeah, I probably lean in. What if I already left and the market went down? Well, let's just think through what that would actually mean. So if this individual had already left their job, they're probably going to have some amount of cash in hand. Now, some people believe in the bucket strategy. Some people believe that that's another form of timing and you should just draw down as you go. But many people will likely have around a year of cash, a year of cash expenses actually saved up. So there's no real, like this is not them actually drawing down on their returns in, in a downturn market. And then you need to ask other questions like, keep in mind, this is an early retiree. She's in her late 20s. She could always go back to work. In fact, we find that individuals that are willing to leave their current job and go across the street to another employer, usually are able to do that and do that in the context of more a bigger raise than they would have gotten in the past. Maybe this is an opportunity to actually do a reset. Maybe this is not a retirement. Maybe it's a sabbatical. And then you got to look at actually asset allocation. So, you know, it's a 12% drop. If you're 100% invested in VTI or in you know, VTSAX or a low-cost broad-based index fund, that's what you're seeing moving into correction territory. You're not seeing a 12% drop in your total portfolio if your asset allocation as you approach drawdown, as you approach retirement, was a 60-40 stock to bond. What you probably would have seen, and I don't have a portfolio visualizer pulled up here to actually confirm this at the moment, but it would this would stand to the test of time. This is what it's always been in the past is your 60% stocks would have gone down that 12%. Your bonds would have stayed steady and maybe even risen a little bit because that's just typically what happens. And if that would hold true, and this is what you see with individuals like JL Collins, JL Collins just very publicly announced on his on his blog this week that this is actually something he was going to do, is you would take a segment of your portfolio that was in bonds and you'd move that over to stock to help you buffer the storm. So you're actually, again, being able to take advantage of rebalancing your portfolio at a time when it's advantageous. So I think like that is just a very small segment, but I want to point out for people that when you are 25 years old, 28 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old, you know, this is not 65 and beyond. You typically have a lot more options than you do when you're talking about someone in their late sixties, early seventies, your finances are more locked in than they are for this, for this 20 year old. And, and I guess this is something that MK said a while back and I want to give her credit for this, but I also want to just use it. There's no failing with FI. You can't fail. When you have a 50% savings rate, that's your force of freaking solitude. That's your superpower. You got this. Yeah, Jonathan, I hear you. I mean, obviously we've said FI is a superpower because it enables you to have that fortress of solitude, to have that position of power that I think a lot of people otherwise don't. And I think, you know, to me, that actually ties into the prepared, not scared mm. that you talked about before. And I think there are a bunch of different aspects that I'd love to chat about, but prepared, not scared in terms of market downturns, right? We have talked about this repeatedly that this is, as far as I'm concerned, it's a 30 to 50 to who knows, 70 plus year journey of getting wealthy. It's not, oh, what happened last quarter? It's not what happened last week. It's not freak out. It's, it's have a plan and stick to it. And frankly, that is not easy to do. Even though I talk about this stuff all the time, when you see your net worth drop by 10 or 12%, it freaks you out. There's no question about it, or at least in my experience, just this past couple of weeks, I'll be 100% honest here. It freaked me out, even though, like I said, I talk about this twice a week for the last three plus years. When you have a plan, 
And when you have an understanding of this is not the sky is falling, this is something that we see corrections, downturns, we see bear markets, we see 30% drops. I mean, these things happen and they happen with regularity. So if you think that this is a black swan event, a 12% drop in the stock market, you realize very quickly when you look at the stats that these kind of things happen every year or two. It's not shocking. So you need to steal yourself for when this is going to happen in the future because you know it is going to happen. That is a certainty. Even those 30 to 50% jobs, if you're invested for 20, 30, 40 years, you're going to see those things. You need to figure out how are you going to react ahead of time so you don't let your emotional brain get involved in it and screw you up. It was interesting uh, hearing you say, I was freaked out. And I don't, this is not a badge of honor for me. I'm not taking it this way. I just want to say that I wasn't like at all. Now I'm not talking about, I have some concerns and I'm very much worried about the implications of what it means for people's lives. Just generally, you know, if, if this were to really go off and cause a lot of damage and that would be tragic. But in terms of the actual market and my money, I don't think that that even crossed my mind to be freaked out. Don't get me wrong. I'm not someone that likes to stare at my personal capital network tracker and watch it go down. I'm just, I'm not going to do that. But what I will do, like, it's kind of a slight reframe is I immediately go to, oh, it's 12% off. Like with my next contribution, as soon as I can get in the market, I'm baking in a 12% discount right now. Uh, and, and I say that to say, if you can make that subtle reframe, knowing that you're going to have to go through this time and time again, and at some point it will be the zombie apocalypse. Like this will be a blip on the radar. We've moved on, but the zombie apocalypse has landed and you still got to have the same mindset going into that. And at some point I probably will experience that true freak out. But I think understanding your options and how you're going to react to it is incredibly valuable. It's so valuable that I think that's why we actually wanted to spend time here. Back in episode 32 of our podcast, we uh, recorded one with Joel. And in that episode, we t- uh, this, this is from Phi 180. The episode was titled The Milestones of Phi, where we talk about these different points in time. You reach these kind of markers and you know you are on the path. It's a great episode. You should listen to it. We followed it up a few weeks later with one called The Checkpoints of Phi because we felt like there was too much space in between those. And we wanted to like give you even more data to grab onto and say, wow, I'm really making progress. But I realized that we didn't have the benefit of hindsight. We didn't nail all the checkpoints. And what I want to add to one of the checkpoints or one of the milestones is you have to make it through your first correction. <laughs> At some point in your life, you've invested, you've invested, you've gotten all this money in. Maybe you finally, you got a windfall and you decided to drop it all in because you you just trust that time in the market. Time in the market, how long is your money in the market is more important than timing the market. So you got it all in there. But at some point, you felt like it bit you. The market dropped 10, 20, 30%. And you said, oh, I'm freaked out. But the milestone, the checkpoint was that you were able to remember this episode and how this episode is built on all the past episodes. And you reframed it and you said, I understand my options. I understand the course I'm on. And I cannot wait to make my next purchase and realize that I'm going to be purchasing at 20 or 30% off. Because I think with the benefit of hindsight, Two years from now, three years from now, five years from now, I'm going to be so happy that I didn't sell it all and get on the sidelines. And two, that the money I contributed over this small window that this was happening relative to my life, I got it 12, 13, 14% off. And that builds that intestinal, that financial fortitude that carries you through your investing career. And Brad, I know even as you were saying 
you know, that you were freaked out, you're saying that from a pretty confident place, like it didn't change your course of action. And what I appreciate about you being honest and, and to some degree vulnerable to actually say that out loud is I know that that, that freaked out at us, right? <laughs> that fear uh, is exhibited by a lot of people, even people inside the FI community, people that we believe have these concepts locked down. It's difficult to totally turn it off. And probably my like radical optimism is somewhat naive to some degree, you know? And so like, I'm maybe even an outlier over here that, but I think what's important is to recognize that you're prepared, not scared. I'd love for you to really flesh out more what it means for you. You know, if you're not actually changing your financial plan, it's not changing your investment plan. What does prepared, not scared look like practically? Yeah, and I think you touched on something important there is fear is such an overriding human emotion. You do need to take your emotional kind of lizard brain out of the decision-making process when it comes to investing. I think that's just essential because otherwise you are going to follow the herd in all the wrong ways. You're going to sell at the worst possible time. You're going to buy when things are high and everything's rocking and rolling, and you're going to try to time the market and you just can't. You know, I, I am probably, Jonathan, the last person you would ever call a prepper. What I like to look at life is in terms of, of bets in terms of probability. So I know Annie Duke's book, Thinking in Bets, has helped put some language to this that I had kind of thought of for decades. But now I think about just increasing the likelihood of success. I especially like to do that in environments where there's no downside, where it's essentially risk-free. So I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. We have no idea on this earth well, you are a doctor. <laughs> I guess you're not. You're a pharmacist. You're, you're a pharmacist. You're waiting. <laughs> you're not a medical doctor. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate that. <laughs> All right. You are officially a doctor. I take it back. <laughs> All right. I am not a doctor. So <laughs> I have no idea what is going to happen with this coronavirus. I mean, this might be something that a month from now we have never even remembered. But thinking in terms of being from a position of power and being able to do something that increases the likelihood of success for me and my family with essentially no downside. I told my family, my parents who rely on medicine, I told them to, you know what? Not that we know anything about this, but even if fear overtakes, and really that's probably the biggest concern, just have, have a supply of your medicine that is life-sustaining on hand. I don't think there's a downside to that. It's just essentially prepaying for something that is utterly essential. And for my family, Laura went out and just bought some food essentially. So we have an extra two weeks of supply. And now again, we literally did not go out of our way and purchase one item that we will not consume in the next month. So, I mean, she even talked about, oh, should I go out and get apples? They last for three months. Jonathan, we don't eat apples. That's just not something that's in our diet. So I said, no, I don't even want to waste the $7. I'm talking about prepaying from a position of strength. We have a deep freezer. We threw some stuff in there. Like to me, that is a perfectly rational and defensible position to just increase the likelihood of success. Because if all of a sudden there's some crazy, again, going back to that fear, if there's some rush on, on the grocery stores, even if there isn't a major calamitous issue with this coronavirus or whatever it may be in the future, there still is going to be a supply issue if there's this fear. If I can get ahead of it from a position of power where we have money, we obviously don't have a cash flow issue. If we can spend an extra couple hundred bucks and just throw stuff in deep storage, there's no downside to, to me or my family at all. I mean, does that, does that make sense? Yeah. MK. 
So this is something that Jason and I have been talking about because people are preparing for coronavirus, like the zombie apocalypse is coming. We live in Florida. We just know we need to have enough water on hand, enough food on hand, because if a storm hits, we don't want to go to Walmart the day before uh, Irma hits. That was crazy. So we've always just been prepared and had this mindset. So it's interesting to say whether it's this crisis or if you live in a hurricane zone, you know to prepare, but it's It doesn't have to be this crazy stockpiling of things you're never going to use. Like, you know what the basics are. Stay calm. It'll be fine. I feel calmer already. MK, I'm curious when you said you store water, like, I know this is going to sound silly, but like, is that just buying one gallon jugs? Did you like buy the five gallons and you fill them up from your tap? Like, what is like storing enough water to be a substantial amount actually look like? So we know for hurricanes that the first 48 hours are on our own. I think it's 48 or 72. So we have enough wa- like individual water bottles that we could just store, take them out and go. Um, when we knew that Irma was about to hit, we actually took, you know, those uh, big cups you get at stadiums with like free refills. We have a bunch of those from over the years of going to like football games. And we filled up all of them with water because if a hurricane hits and the water lines are down, you do not want to like bathe or drink any of that water. You'd have to boil it. So we filled up all of these cups with water and then we evacuated and we came home and nothing happened. Our place was fine. So we just had lots of cups of water sitting around. But that was an extreme case for where we thought that we would not be able to bathe. We just have our case of water and then we're fine. Gotcha. You know, what's interesting is uh, when you think about prepared from the perspective of someone on the path to financial independence versus just not being on the path, just drifting. If you actually think about the advantages you already have, and it's not to gloat about it. It's just a practical reality. Think about the fact that like, if something got quarantined or no, or work had to get shut down and your small business, they weren't offering pay for the time that you were out. Like you could weather that storm. It's going to be fine. Or you could, you know, say, Hey, I don't really want to be working at work. Can I work remote? You know, I can do that. You can start making these requests. Maybe you could even do that ahead of time. If you needed to be home, you wanted to have your kids out of daycare, out of preschool, you could handle that. You know, like all these kind of built-in advantages, if you can go several weeks without drawing a pay, like this doesn't really have anything to do with whether or not you're still working or not working. It really has to do with more of the superpower of a 50% savings rate over time. You can weather financial storms and there's a spillover effect for all the practical aspects of your life. Now, there's some places where there's a, uh, buying opportunities that are not worth it. Uh, so for instance, when your, uh, your cruise ship offers you a cruise right now for 80 or 90% off, not worth it. Even if you can afford it, oh my God. <laughs> Brad, is there any dollar amount that I could pay you to go on a cruise uh, right now? Not right now. No. <laughs> All right. Friendly advice from your friends here at choose FI. Hey, I wanted to mention one more thing, just as we talk, go back to purple story because her case is so interesting and there's some challenges, but there's also some unique advantages for this uh, quote unquote early retiree. We actually, in a couple episodes here, it's gonna be episode 172. We're bringing on Michael Kitsis. Now you may or you may or may not be familiar with that name, but I mean, I'm telling you, he's one of the unsung heroes of the financial independence community. The work that he's done is really a lot of what we lean on when we're talking about Roth conversion ladders, when we're looking at uh, the 4% rule and how to extrapolate it out to our own situations. I mean, he is really someone that has leaned into this content and we're all benefiting from it, whether or not you know that name or not. We actually had him on the show and with this episode in mind, we asked Michael to help tailor the episode toward flexible spending rules for the early retiree. When can you spend more and when do you need to reel it in to make sure that no matter what happens, 
you're good to go. So if you're excited about that idea, you want to hear more, make sure you stay tuned. That's going to be episode 172, 172 of our podcast, just in a couple weeks here. All right, everyone, we are going to be moving into some really important content. We actually have a uh, great case study series set up for you already talking about how capital gains tax brackets can be used and why you need to understand them as you plan out your drawdown strategy and your retirement plan. That one's really important. But I think as we're kind of building out this content uh, in a stepwise, linear, logical fashion, one of the things we needed to actually circle back to was a free money conversation. So just for some context, uh, back in 2017, we talked with the millionaire educator. It was episode 13 of our podcast. In that episode, there were two things embedded. One was talking about the power of the 457 for state employees. The other one was talking about understanding the rules and how to plan out your free money. And uh, he has a great article series that he updates each year. We'll have a link in the show notes. But I thought for this conversation, really to understand this capital gains case study that we have coming up, we needed to first spend a little bit of time on this free money concept. I always refer back to this because while taxes in the United States are not fun, like it's just, it could be simpler. They're not that simple. I guess Brad's probably sitting right next to me saying, well, you know, it's it's, it's perfectly logical for me. <laughs> but it, it gets kind of murky, but this free money can take this kind of murky concept of taxes and marginal tax brackets and break it down to something that you can understand and weave a story around. And just by having an understanding at a simple level, at a 101 level, it allows you to do some pretty impressive tax planning around it. So Brad, I thought we could have a conversation around this. Yeah, that sounds good. And just to kind of start this off here, the free money as the millionaire educator is talking about is really what you can earn in a year that you ultimately pay $0 of tax on. So he looks at this through, I believe, two main aspects. The first is the standard deduction. So each year on your taxes, you put all of your income, your W-2 wages, your interest, your dividends, cap gains, everything goes on there and you get deductions. But the most obvious one is the standard deduction. That now has recently been increased in the last couple of years with the tax overhaul. So in Jerry's case here, he is filing a tax return with his wife. So it's a married filing joint. So for 2020, the standard deduction is $24,800. Okay, so let's say hypothetically, all of their income added to $24,800, they would then immediately take the standard deduction and then wipe that down to zero. That is their taxable income of zero. Now, obviously, the tax liability or the tax you owe will be $0 on taxable income of zero. That's kind of stands to reason, but it's important to get this terminology right. You have taxable income, which then the tax rates are applied to, which gets you down to your tax liability or the total amount you owe to the government. It has nothing to do with how many payments you have on file, what you withheld, that's all after the fact, but the tax liability is the total amount of taxes owed for that calendar year. Yeah. And as you're having that conversation, you actually have to talk about kind of two different ways of framing the tax. You have your marginal tax brackets, and then you have practically for individuals, their effective tax rate. And that, I think when some people say that, oh, I'm paying so much in taxes, I'm, I'm paying 22% or 24%. Like if you were to say 20, 22% and I make hundred K and I'm going to pay 22% tax, you say, well, you're paying $22,000 in tax. But that's not really the case. Like, let's let's do a breakdown for individuals because we actually have these marginal tax brackets. So you pay 0% on a certain amount and then 10 and then, oh, 12 and then 22 and then 24 and it kind of goes up from there. So let's do it for with no kids. And let's not talk about the child tax credit yet. 
Right. And, and I did leave that loop open. The other thing that he factored in was the child tax credit. We'll get to that in a minute. So let's break this down both for married filing joint and filing single. We'll do married filing joint first. The 10% bracket. So the first $44,550 you make, all of those are taxed at 10%. But it's a little bit better than that because married filing joint, you get a standard deduction of $24,800. So the first $24,800 that you make are going to be covered by the standard deduction if you're married filing joint. The end of the 10% bracket is $19,750. So you have to add both of those together. And what that tells you is that if you were to make the sum of those two, which is $44,550, the tax that you would owe on that would be $1,975. Now, you could probably quickly do that math and realize that's far below 10%. In fact, 10% would be your marginal tax bracket. Your effective tax rate, which is just the 1975 divided by that larger number, 44550, is 4.43%. So it's a very generous and low federal tax bracket. And when you do this on the other side, for a single filer, your standard deduction is $12,400. The upper end of that 10% bracket is $9,875. That means when you add both of those together, you get $22,275. And what that means practically for you is that you're only going to owe $988 on that first $22,275. Again, bringing you down to an effective tax rate of 4.43%. Understanding this is critical to your tax planning because we can scale this out. And if you understand this and you understand how to leverage tax deferred vehicles, you can quite literally pick your tax rate. Yeah, Jonathan, it is interesting when you look at that effective tax rate versus marginal. Marginal is what is the next dollar of income getting taxed at? Oh, I'm in the 24% bracket. I I pay 24% in tax. No, it's usually dramatically, dramatically less than that. And you show this, this is An interesting example with 10%. Now that is obviously the lowest of the marginal tax rates, but even still the effective tax rate or what you're paying in tax liability over your total income, that's what effective tax rate is still less than half of that 10%. It's only 4.43%. And this is before we even get into, like you said, you have the ability to really work with your tax rate more significantly than this when you talk about 401ks and HSAs and IRAs, traditional IRAs. You're talking about tax deferred money that you get the tax deduction in the current year. You can really make dramatically more money than this. And this is before we even get into the child tax credit, which gives you more free money. You can make dramatically more in terms of income and still pay essentially zero in your actual tax liability. It's fascinating how much wiggle room we have here. And again, it's from this position of power. That is the beautiful thing about having a savings rate of keeping your expenses relatively low or or whatever that means to you. But having this savings where you can say, all right, you know what? I don't want to pay tax at my highest marginal rate this year. I want to max out my 401k, not just get the full match, which is in my opinion, the absolute bare bones table stakes is you need to get your company match. But I would love it if you could max out your 401k, max out both spouses 401ks. You're talking in that case, $39,000 of tax deductions in 2020 just for that. That's before you get into HSA, which is over 7,000. These are all just things that just 
further lower that taxable income and ultimately your tax liability. And so when you layer onto that, as you mentioned, the child tax credit, and let me just preface this by saying, having a child to get a child tax credit is the <laughs> dumbest idea that has ever been stated on a podcast. So that is not what you're hearing out of this. <laughs> just dumb. <laughs> That's but, like waiting in line for Black Friday deals to get $10 off of a $1,000 TV. I think it's dumb. Right? <laughs> I actually think, I think yeah. Maya, that idea went. <laughs> but- Let's talk about the tax implications when you have kids. So we'll use again the married filing jointly to start with, and we'll and, for, and forget about effective tax. Let's just talk about total free money with one child tax credit, and each child tax credit covers up to two thousand dollars of additional tax as long as you make less than I think it's like four hundred thousand dollars. That's like the cutoff, right? And Jonathan, that two thousand dollar this is a tax credit, which is a dollar for dollar reduction in your tax liability. These definitions are important because so many people know, sadly, so little about the taxation system in this country. And it's really important that we in the FI community understand this. This is a tax credit, which means once you've calculated your tax liability, then you pull $2,000 straight off of that. So it is a dollar for dollar reduction in that liability. That is contrasted with a tax deduction, which is just taking it off of your income. So the standard deduction. Like we said before, if you had, let's say, $100,000 of income, the standard deduction reduces that income by $24,800 to get you then to down to your taxable income at which then you calculate your tax liability. So long and short of it, a tax credit is dramatically more valuable than a tax deduction. And so- Basically, what Millionaire Educator is doing here, which I think is awesome, is instead of even worrying about effective tax rate, we're shooting for how much can we make with an effective tax rate of zero? You know, forget marginal versus effective, just a tax rate of zero at the federal level. With one child married filing jointly, $44,758 tax-free, effective tax rate of zero. With two children, I'm going to work all the way up to five. With two kids, it's $61,425. With three kids, it's 78000 I'm going to leave off the change here. With four kids, it's 94000 With five kids, it's $108,000 that are tax-free at the federal level. So that gives you a pretty substantial amount of room to work with. Yeah, that is a really cool calculation. And it's interesting how he works backwards. We said this is a $2,000 tax credit. But what Jerry did was he worked backwards and said, okay, if you're in this situation and you have this standard deduction, you have this much room in the different tax brackets. So what he did was he actually said, okay, you're going to take up, let's say 19,750 at the 10% bracket. That only gets you 1,975 of the full credit. And then some of it is at the next tax bracket, which is 12%. So he's doing all the work for you. He's trying to tell you in essence, that tax credit of $2,000, what that's worth for you on the front side in terms of total income that you essentially get down to zero. So it's technically not a deduction, but he's giving you in essence, apples to apples of what this would look like if it were a deduction. I think he's thinking about it or talking about it like a human yeah. instead of like yeah. maybe an accountant, yeah. not throwing you on the bus, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, if you're filing single, then the numbers, according, you know, on the Millionaire Educator page that I'm looking at here, the numbers, uh, you have to adjust them slightly. The standard deduction for filing single is $12,400. So, you know, with the one child tax credit, your free money would be $30,708. With two, it'd be about forty-seven. With three, it'd be a roughly 58000 
four sixty seven and five children would be around seventy six thousand. So if you were to take that information, you were pull it back and apply it to the situation of purple, we have someone whose life costs roughly twenty thousand dollars a year, knowing what you know about free money, her effective tax rate, she has the ability to control this at an at an extreme level. Yeah, hers is actually below the four point four three we set up in the the initial example. i'm I'm calculating it here at three point eight percent. And this is just, the ultimate back of the envelope because we're just saying she has no other deductions. She has nothing else. Just assuming 20,000 of income. Let's even assume that all the $20,000 she's using for expenses are coming as straight income, which is extremely unlikely. So in all likelihood, her effective rate is going to be, like you said, closer to zero. But even assuming worst case scenario, it's all taxable income. She takes $20,000 of income, takes off the $12,400 standard deduction which gets her down to a taxable income of $7,600. That's at the 10% rate. So she's at $760 in federal tax liability. And to get that effective rate, you just take 760, divide by her total income of $20,000, and that gets you to 3.8%. That is the worst case scenario, assuming no other deductions and assuming that all of the money that she's using to cover her life expenses are coming from income, which again, is really, really unlikely. For other individuals, so this is her, you know, in her drawdown, but you also need to think about it from the perspective of when you're accumulating the money, the advantages of getting this money out. So let's say you're making $80,000 a year, somewhere, maybe $100,000 a year plus. That money, if you were just to take it, is going to throw you in those higher marginal tax brackets. And so what you're doing is you are deferring as much as possible income that when you're in the higher marginal tax brackets, you're deferring it by putting it into your 403B. If you you know if you have access, your 401K, probably should have started with that one. That's probably <laughs> the most uh, relevant one for most people. Your 457, if you have access to it. Your HSA, if you have access to it. Traditional IRA, if you're eligible for it. And then once you've kind of moved through those, you could, you know, and potentially another option would have been a Roth IRA would potentially be another option. And you could make that case based on your marginal tax bracket that you find yourself in. But then you're going to still have some left over. And yes, you're going to have to pay taxes on that remaining income because you're drawing an income. But at that point, you're getting into your investment accounts and that's where capital gains actually come in. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But we just, what we try to do is reduce your structural expenses. Purple's an extreme case, but reduce your structural expenses. Design the life that you want. Not a life based on deprivation, but the life that you want figure out how much that's going to cost, understand the rules of financial events, how much do I need to save, and then come up with a strategy as you approach that time where you're no longer working your corporate job or otherwise, how do you want to draw that money down in a way that won't have you engaging with your lizard brain? Quote Brad. <laughs> <laughs> I can visualize that now. This is all just like have a plan, follow the plan. Life is lumpy. Life's going to happen. It's not always going to go straight up. That's okay. We're going to think about that ahead of time. And then we're going to react from a place of confidence and strength, not from a place of fear. All right, so MK, in a, in a week of darkness, do you have any joy for us, any, any blips of positivity, any wins, financial wins or otherwise this week from the we community? We do. Yeah, we have several wins to share. It's very exciting. So we got this email in from Chase, the person, not Chase, the credit card company or bank. And Chase said, I forget which episode it was, but I remember Jonathan talking about the class action lawsuit that was following through for the Nexus 6P smartphone. I feel like he mentioned this in passing and jokingly said that all of us with this phone should sign up for the opportunity to be included. Well, I did. And to my surprise, I received $150 today. I was totally not expecting anything to come from this. And I barely remember filling out the form. Just wanted to say thanks for the heads up. 
As usual, you guys keep adding value to my life. So thanks. I'm glad they sent one to you. They didn't send it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you didn't follow through. <laughs> I did. Of course I did. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's a nice win by Chase. That actually reminds me of rebates. Whenever you see a rebate, the company expects, essentially expects you to not follow through. I think they anticipate fewer than 10% of people to actually follow through. I wonder what the uh, the rate would be for people in the FI community. I imagine it's many, many times that. I mean, it's free money, right? We will break you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Congratulations. All right, what else? All right, well, our other big win that we had today came from Jennifer. She said that she's sharing a big win, saved $1,000 on braces. The orthodontist that our older boy goes to donated a set of braces to our school auction fundraiser. We had already had a consult for our younger son who is slated to need them later this year. Because of our progress with Phi, we had cash flow on hand for a larger spend like this and knew what our ceiling was during the bidding process. We just saved over $1,000 based on what we would have paid out of pocket after the insurance portion. Added benefit is that the school is getting a sizable donation too. Our orthodontist makes several donations like this to area schools. Likely others do as well. That's an awesome win, Jennifer. Way to go. Wow. You know, Brad, we actually coined a term for this that I feel like we have done injustice by not mentioning recently. And it was um, just rolls right off the tongue. Just totally. Uh, <laughs> I'm scared. No, come on. F-W-O-T-W. Uh -huh. Frugal win of the week. And uh, as I was going back listening to some of our archives, I remember us introducing that. And I realized that I'd always had this dream of turning that into a sticker, right? If you get, or a bumper sticker or whatever, if your car's your FWOTW, if you lock down something and it was your frugal win of the week, whatever that is, you could just label that sucker. Because once it's labeled, now it exists for perpetuity. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, man? Is that worth revisiting? Does the world need more bumper stickers? <laughs> I don't know if it needs a tangible bumper sticker, but maybe. But I, I do like it, right? Frugal win of the week. I love these wins. And MK, thanks for bringing them in to the community here. And Jennifer, it's cool because that is actually something that our local orthodontist does as well. We have a silent auction up at the elementary school. I actually talked to Laura about this, that if we ever needed braces for our kids, that, I mean, that is a really smart idea. And like Jennifer said, it's a win-win for everybody. It's thousands of dollars for the local elementary school. And we're getting a discount on something that we would have paid out of pocket for. So you look for opportunities like that from this position of strength. What do you right. think the dollar amount would be to lock that thing down? What's the sweet spot? What would you bid? Because it's silent auction, right? What would you bid? Oh, oh, oh. Like yeah. your strategic brain, what, what would be that number? Well, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't want you to give away your are, secrets. Are you asking just... for the, the true strategy? Well, yeah, I want the actual okay, the number. True strategy would be I guess it would depend on the percentage likelihood that my daughter needed the braces. If it was 100% and I had the actual dollar figure, I would pay any amount up to $1 no, less. No, now, right? no. But I mean, that's that's the obvious thing. No, that's not but, obvious at all. <laughs> I mean, that is not actually what you would in, do. You in terms would not... of game theory, that is what I would do. But but no, realistically, I mean, certainly if I could save $500 to $1,000, I would do it without even batting an eyelash. But uh, You would do 75% of market price. Is that is that kind of I your mean, upper threshold? Yeah, I guess if we're saying it's probably going to cost $5,000 or whatever it is. And if I could save $1,000, yeah, honestly, Jonathan, even 500, I mean, that's a true $500. It's 10%, which sounds paltry in, in, you know, setting up your example of 75%, but it's $500 saved just by timing it differently. Again, if I was 100% sure that she needed braces, I think that's something I would do. Okay. All right. Well, take it and run. 
All right. Well, I want to go ahead and make a couple announcements. The first one, I'm really excited to announce that Jillian just released a new season of her podcast, Everyday Courage. And if you remember the first season, which came out earlier this year, was really about planning your best year, your best decade. This season aptly is good with money. And Brad, I know that uh, the first episode actually featured Mr. Money Mustache, and I know you were devouring it. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was really cool. It was like this fireside chat between Jillian and Pete, and it was at this retreat she had in Montana. And it was cool to hear Pete talk about things that I'd never heard him talk about before. He talked about when he first graduated college and where he lived and how he saved money by doing something fairly unconventional. It was really, really cool. So highly recommended. Like we've talked about before, Everyday Courage is the second podcast under the Choose Fi umbrella. And we are just so proud of what Jillian's doing there. It's really phenomenal. So if you're listening to the show, just go to search on your podcast player, type in Everyday Courage and hit subscribe. You will not regret it. It is a phenomenal show. And it's timely here. I think uh, next week, she's actually flying to Richmond. We're going to be recording season three. So uh, it's I love the response that we've gotten from the community. I'm glad that it's found a home and that it's resonating with people. So uh, definitely, if you haven't yet checked it out, give it a shot. I think you're really going to get some value from it. And if you want to access the entire season ahead of time, you can just go to chooseify.com slash courage. You can binge listen today. And uh, speaking of reaching people where they are, I believe we have another pretty significant announcement. MK, why don't you go and tee that up for us? Yeah, so we have received a lot of requests over the years for Spanish language resources. So the team with the Choose Fi International Foundation decided to do a small free experiment to see if there was true demand for it. So Spanish is the second most used language in the U.S. It's spoken globally, and we realized there's a large population we could be missing out on by being an English-only enterprise. So we decided that we were going to test the waters. There's a lot we still don't know, but we're going to be putting out a digital download called Fi Made Simple and pairing that with an email series that will be in Spanish. So if you are part of the Hispanic community, if you know somebody who could benefit from the message of Fi and they live abroad in a Spanish-speaking country or they live here, but Spanish is their first language and maybe their preferred language for some of these concepts, please share this with them. Uh, while the content of Fi Made Simple for tax purposes and investments is US-centric, a lot of it is applicable anywhere that you live, a lot of the big Fi concepts. So if you have family or friends that could benefit from this, or if you would just like to read it in Spanish, definitely check that out at choosefi.com slash Spanish or choosefi.com slash Espanol, but the end does not have the tilde on it. And we really want to give a big shout out, a huge thank you to the people who have volunteered to make this happen. So we knew our own limitations and we decided to go out to people who would know this best. We had some really great help from Sandra Quintero, Loreno Munoz Holiday, Nancy Alvidrez, Arnaldo Bermudez. They did an amazing job. We could not have done this without them. So thank you. Thank you so much for everything you've done. And as a fun fact for Jonathan, since we know you love fun facts, FI is reversed in Spanish. It is IF or Independencia Financiera. Wow. wow. Just flipped my entire <laughs> world on its head. Yeah, it's really amazing to see this concept spread around the world and certainly spread around here in the U.S. Jonathan, you and I, we're going to head down to Charleston, South Carolina. Alan Donegan was going to do a free pop-up business school there. Unfortunately, because of an illness in my family, I was unable to attend, but I heard you and Ed talk about it and it sounded amazing. 
Yeah, it was pretty cool. There's actually a lot embedded in this, and I don't think we'll have time to, to pull it all out today, but there's a lot of really cool things that are going on. So much in the way that um, Choose FI and the financial independence community uh, at large has really captured the imagination of the world. Pop-Up is, is seeing the same thing. Pop-Up Business School, Alan Donegan, he's a friend of the show. He's been on the show many, many times. He's the founder of a, of a business called Pop-Up Business School. And, and the purpose, the noble cause, the vision of Pop-Up is to kind of flip the business model on the head. The old dated business model says you need to have this massive business plan. You need to take on venture capital or debt. Uh, it's high risk, right? And whenever you take on high risk propositions, it makes the fear of failure and the realities of failure um, much worse. So Pop-Up says, what if you didn't? What if instead of creating a 30 or 40 page business plan and going massively into debt, you could just have an idea, take action on it and do it and replace venture capital with just creativity and get proof of concept, get a sale. And then if you can get a sale, then go build the product, do it all in reverse. And there's tools that you don't really consider that you don't really know that you need, like things that you don't take it. You don't realize the power of sales and understanding how to craft a presentation and a pitch and market your idea and building a website and all these different things. You don't really realize the mechanical aspect of this because nobody's taught you this. Nobody's trained you to do this. Pop-up has seen really over the, they've been working on it for the last eight years, but over the last two years, that hockey stick trajectory where massive attention, both from our community, from the outside community, from mainstream media is continuing to highlight this and realize, recognize that this is the future of business building, much in the way that financial independence is the future of personal finance. It's a parallel conversation. It's a natural path. And what we actually saw is individuals that have completely beaten the game using entrepreneurship. This was their vehicle to financial independence and realize the power of that. Want to see this for others that are coming behind. And so Sean Jenkins, who's a good friend of ours, actually is on our board of directors at the Choose FI International Foundation, sponsored a pop-up business school to bring it to his hometown of Charleston. And they had over a hundred, so for two weeks, over a hundred people show up every single day and close to a hundred businesses, maybe even more were actually started over that two weeks. And you had individuals that went in with fear, like, can I do this? Is it possible? Getting their first sale inside of a mall that's being revitalized and truly, it's the future of entrepreneurship. And it's so inspiring. We had our video team go down, create a small documentary series around it. And there's a lot more projects in the work there that I'm not prepared to announce yet. But just, it was a massive source of encouragement for me to be a part of it, to see it, and to recognize that our community is going to be benefiting from this content continuing to become increasingly mainstream. That is remarkable. I'm obviously very sad that I missed it, but all the work that Sean and Alan and the entire team did down there, it just sounds remarkable to have 100 people take two weeks of their life out to be in a position where they can move forward and get over that fear, right? This is what we've talked about the whole episode is get over that fear. Don't let it paralyze you. You can take small steps, right? We talk about 1% better here at Chooseify. Take little steps, little actions each day to make your life better. And I mean, this is not little, this is massive. One thing that we both owe a huge debt of gratitude to Alan for was telling us that we weren't putting enough focus on entrepreneurship very early on in our show. In fact, he messaged us privately right after we released episode 21 of our podcast, The Pillars of Fi, and said, the pillars are great, but you are clearly missing entrepreneurship as a massive vehicle for Fi. We heard that, took it as corrective criticism and realized that he was completely right and changed our entire, like added it into our philosophy. And that has been borne out that that is true. And now I think if you look at our philosophy now, and I think in general, even the Phi community, I don't feel like the Phi community talked about side hustles three or four years ago, the way that they do now, where you realize it's such a powerful tool. We have this equation, what you earn minus what you spend is equal to this difference, right? This gap. 
And you can focus on earning more, you can focus on spending less, and you can focus on how to invest the margin better. When you talk about earning more, there's three primary vehicles. There's infinite micro options, but, but at the macro level, there's three basic options. You can start a business, you can crush your day job, right? Or just switch careers, salary, negotiate, et cetera, et cetera. Or you can get into rental real estate. Every business under the sun falls under one of those three categories. Every path to FI from the earn more perspective falls under those categories. So I think that with the benefit of Alan kind of helping us bring this information in, I feel like we're really well prepared to go into the next five years to try to highlight the stories of individuals that made one of those three choices. On the earn more side, did they go into real estate? Did they start a business or did they sour negotiate their way up or change careers or really dial in on the career they had? What was their path to earn more? I think it really provides us an interesting framework to create content over the next several years. And I would be remiss and not pointing out as we just highlighted local groups and the power of community that while we were down in Charleston, we actually had a Chooseify meetup at a local brewery, the Rusty Bull. It was fantastic. Well attended, 75 to hundred people showed up that night and uh, it was a great time. I mean, we, I think we closed the place down So at some point. So it's really cool to see people wanting to get a chance to get together and, and just hash out these different ideas. Because once you start seeing these ideas, you can't unsee them. And it starts opening up a whole new line of questions. What do I want to do next? You're not limited to just one question, right? You can do one question a day and you can keep stacking, adding new information to your toolbox to figure out what you want to do next. And I get, I get very excited about seeing the power of these communities really coming together around this idea. Well, that's great. You guys had such a good time at the local meetup. And speaking of our local groups, we have some new groups to talk about today. There's a new group in Eastern Utah. So if you are in Eastern Utah, there is now a Chooseify local group for you to check out. And to go along with our announcement for our translations, we now have a Chooseify and Espanol group. So all the conversations will be taking place in Spanish. So you can uh, communicate there. And then we have a LGBTQ plus and friends group that started as well. So really excited to see this community growing. And MK, people can find all the local groups and all those associated cohort groups, et cetera, at choosefi.com slash local. All right. Well, unfortunately, that's going to bring this episode to a close. Now, as you know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. And actually, this has kind of shifted over the time as we've moved from just having one book to really being able to say that Choose If I actually has a publishing arm. The stated goal of the publishing arm is to find authors that are writing about content that the FI community, specifically the FI community, really wants to dive deep into and be able to pull those ideas together and give you a manual that you can take with you. That's really the stated goal for this. And it's kind of been cool to flesh that out. MK, I know you've had so much fun working with the writers and there's several books in the queue that are very exciting to talk about. But for the sake of this drawing, we have two books that we can offer. The first is our book, Choose If I, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. And the other one is the Simple Startup Series. This is by Rob Phelan. Rob has created a manual for both teachers and students to use to really start to flesh out their first entrepreneurial venture. Very much tied to the themes that we just discussed with Pop-Up. It's really meant as a classroom tool. If you would like to win a copy of one of those options, all you need to do is just go to choosefi.com slash iTunes, follow the instructions there, leave us a short written review at feedback at choosefi.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. We give away one book for every five written reviews that we get, and we announce a winner on the Friday Roundup. So MK, how many winners do we have today? Well, guys, today we have one winner, and that is Melody. Melody writes, I'm the kind of person who loves to learn, and this podcast delivers something valuable every week. I've made many changes in my life since binging Choosefi for several weeks. Brad and Jonathan make personal finance seem relatable and have made changes for the better as a result of the content. 
The best part, though, is that Choose Fi goes beyond finances and creates opportunities for personal growth and reflection that have made a world of difference in my life. As a divorced mother of two, I've often fallen into the habit of sacrificing every bit of my time and energy into my kids and their happiness. This podcast reminded me that it's okay to get excited about things I want to do and opportunities to explore my passions. As a result, I'm a better mom, a good example of a strong and resilient woman for my kids. Thank you, Brad and Jonathan, for sharing this content and changing my life. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations to you, Melody, for listening and taking action. That's the hardest part, actually taking steps to make your life better. So huge thanks to you. To our audience, maybe this is the first episode that you have ever listened to. And maybe part of you is saying, what did I just get myself into? Sounds cool, but how do I get started? Let me just encourage you, get started today. And we've made it. We've tried to make it easy. We realize there's three years of content and you definitely could just start at episode one and work your way through. But if you want to deep dive into the content, we've created a completely free infographic for you, which kind of helps you get into that core content as it fits your life. To access that, just go to chooseify.com slash start. Get started on your path to financial independence today. All right, my friends, we'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.